Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories and really start writing your own. Now, you can be motivated by their success because their stories could offer direction and help you reach your goals through your planning and your committed effort. My interviews, like the one you will hear today, will provide you as a consumer and a business owner access to celebrities. She's one of those. She's a CEO. She's an entrepreneur. And most importantly, she's an industry decision maker. My next guest is Ann Gibson. She's an Emmy-nominated creative visionary, choreographer, director, producer, and entrepreneur. Her new book is Dance Your Dance, Eight Steps to Unleash Your Passion and Live Your Dreams. The book was packed with personal antidotes and messages of empowerment. Dance Your Dance highlights Gibson's evolution from a young dancer trained in New York City to a well-respected, in-demand industry leader with an eye for cultivating music artists from the ground up. The book unveils the ultimate blueprint to achieving your dreams, a blueprint she's implemented to develop some of the world's greatest superstars, including Lady Gaga, Nicki Minaj, Katy Perry, and the Jonas Brothers, among others. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation for the very second time. She's a good friend of mine to have on this show, and I'm happy to promote her new book, Ann Gibson. How you doing, Miss Gibson? Hi. <laughs> you look How fantastic. You? Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, first of all, you know, welcome to my new studio. I want, I'm happy because <laughs> last time we did it via podcast and we didn't get to see each other, but, uh, you know, life has changed in a good way and uh, a lot of success that you've had in 2020 despite the uh, COVID-19. How did that, did that affect your life or the COVID-19, the pandemic? And how did that impact you in 2020 and motivated you for 2021? Well, the interesting thing is I was told when it was first happening that creatives would excel. And I kept hearing this and I kept saying to myself, I think I think I think that's right. You know, Mm -hmm. when everything shuts down, when people's idea of what it takes to make it shifts, Mm -hmm. that's when we do excel. And -hmm. I had the opportunity to really dig into the book Mm -hmm. and understand the purpose Mm-hmm. in the book. Mm-hmm. So I was able to take more time to really flush out my methodology mm-hmm. that I used in helping big superstars become their very best. And I was able to inspire it in eight steps to unleash your passion and live your dream. So for me, COVID was a blessing. Right. It was an opportunity to shift mm-hmm. and shift and be prepared for what's ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And a part of that is shifting the narrative. Right. And creating inspiration and actual transformation in how people dance their dance and no one else's. Well, you know, I, I definitely want to, uh, I want to walk you through you telling your story. I, I, I read the book. I, I enjoyed the book. I read a lot of motivational books, a lot of books that, uh, but on each book and, and, and fascinating reading your book because you have to share personal, personal angles. And sometimes you're not happy to share those angles, like your relationship we had with the, the Greek restaurant owner as, as a young girl. You, you know, you shared it and later on you found out, realized you was a fool, but that's part of the process. It didn't destroy you. And, and, and one of the big things that you say, life is a dance. And I, I bring that moment up that was emotionally dark for you, but life is a dance. Explain why you say life is a dance in your book. 
Life is a dance because it's about different rhythms. It's mm-hmm. about different steps that you have to take. Mm-hmm. And again, I believe greatness is in the process. Mm-hmm. It's not in overnight. It's not in Insta. It's in the process of becoming, of shedding and receiving and building. So for me, it was dark, mm-hmm. but I was faced with the opportunity to overcome insecurities. Right. I talk about step four, staying in your yes. <laughs> Right. So that means to me, when I faced the adversity, when I faced the feeling of being in a position where I was vulnerable in the relationship with the restaurant owner, mm-hmm. he did approach me in a sexual manner. And I, I was uncomfortable with that. I wasn't ready to receive it. It didn't align itself with the feeling of my dream. Mm-hmm. And I talk about that being a flag, mm-hmm. something that redirects you to what will help cultivate your dance right. and create the confidence that you need to sustain what it is you have to endure in order to live the dream. Um, so it was difficult when I did the audiobook and I heard myself speaking <laughs> the experience. I was like, Oh my God, people right. are going to find out things about me. And for a moment I was like, did I write this? And is this really coming out? Right. But very quickly, I understood that my passion to connect directly with entrepreneurs and visionaries, Mm -hmm. as a result of what I went through, it gave me revelation to write the steps in order for them to not only be inspirational, but effective. Right. That you could go back to a step when you were faced with a challenge that would take you out of your dance, out of your rhythm, and ultimately making it longer for you to achieve that goal. So it was worth it in the end because I was able to write a Mm -hmm. book that would be effective for visionaries. Well, the thing about it is that it's effective in a lot of ways because you have to be honest with these books. I I hate reading books that that tell you how to be wealthy, but they don't have money in the bank. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And uh, so you can't tell somebody how to be successful if you can't tell them how you came out of a dark moment or you came down from the base of the mountain to climb that mountain. And that's what your book is. But throughout the book, you know, you talk about your dad was an electrician. You were born in Canada, Jamaican immigrants. You know, your mom worked at Xerox, but that wasn't her passion. You know, and uh, the thing I like about it is that, like, your mom's passion was to be a fashion designer. And her mom said no. That, that's an impossibility. And then Mr. Christopher in dance school, you talk about those dream killers. When, and, and like you, you, you might hear, I always tell people, you know, that leave with your gifts. Don't let your friends, family members or your age stop you from living your dreams or planning your life. I say that all the time. And that's basically the mantra for your book. And I love it because of the fact that a dream killer tried to stop you as a young dancer because you didn't fit the structure or the physical structure of a ballerina. Talk about dream killers because we we encountered them. And guess what? They are clothed in so many different disguises as loved ones, as children, as as religious leaders. That's what this book, I got excited when I started reading that part of it because I said she gets it and she's telling the truth. Exactly. And I'm very humbled by the fact that you do get it because that's very special to me because that is the goal. That is the intention. And I think too many people are afraid to talk about the process and they're afraid to let you know that there will be a fight. Mm -hmm. There are dream killers and there is a fight. Mm -hmm. And through the fight, 
Once you persevere and you hang on to the feeling of your dream, it will produce what you need to endure the time that you need to become the dream. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't talk about the dream killers because there is a lack of conversation about the fight and about the process. Right. But here's a book that is unafraid to talk to you while you're in the process, to mm-hmm. celebrate you while you're in the process, to inspire you to dance your dance and not someone else's, and that the fight will be there. Right. But it's the fact that I had to get back up, mm-hmm. that I had to bob and weave, dodge and turn. Mm-hmm. And through dancing my dance, it created a confidence a clarity, a level of perseverance and a level of clarity that would enable me to stand strong now at the best and biggest time of my career. And I think some people like to just talk about the glossiness. They're afraid to say I was curled up in a ball after I got, you know, in a big fight with Puffy on making the band. I was curled up in a ball after I left my pop star at the biggest moment in her career. But it's those moments where I had to hang on to the feeling of the dream mm-hmm. and define myself by staying in my yes. And so if you're at that position and the business doesn't mm-hmm. look like it's about to prosper, but you have this feeling of the dream, then you have to take the opportunity to stay in your yes and hang on to that dream and go through the pain, get back up, choose to fight, choose to train again, choose to take another route, but refuse to give up, (laughs) refuse to give up. Mm -hmm. I want the narratives to change, refuse to give up. Well, Lorian, how do I do that? I'm facing eviction. Mm -hmm. Face it. Mm -hmm. Once you face it and you acknowledge that your dream is bigger than the eviction, that the feeling of the dream is bigger than the eviction notice, then you will find a way out. Because you've chosen your dance over somebody else's dance. Wow. And so the dream killers are there to force you to dance your dance. Right. Look at it from the visionary perspective. Mm -hmm. Why am I facing this? Why did the door close? It closed because that is not in alignment with the feeling of my dream. That door ultimately wasn't going to create the greatness in me or produce the greatness in me. Wow. You know, the thing about greatness, it's a word that's used a lot now because of mm-hmm. the pandemic, the word pivot. And, you yeah. know, that's a, and when y'all read this book, you're the queen of pivoting. You know, you Ooh. are the queen. When you got on that bus with your 13000 dollars and 13000 was going to your tuition at Avon Ailey, you know, and the rest was going to you don't know where. That was your pivoting moment because there was no destiny. But when you got there, you you balanced pivoting. That's what I'm saying is that, you know, I I, I laugh at my life because I, I a lot of terms that I just naturally did did in my life. They're common terms now: branding, pivoting. You were mm-hmm. you know uh, 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 dream boards and stuff that people put on. That's you, but you did it naturally. Talk or walk us through those steps. You know, even to the, discovering the world of hip hop, that was a pivot moment for you. You didn't come to New York to be a hip hop dancer, and so so 
Talk about the power of pivoting naturally before it became a term that people use like it's something that was discovered overnight. They just, well, pivoting, you, well, you did it. And this book tells you how you did it. It wasn't That's happy right. times when you were pivoting. They were not, you were doing it by yourself as a young lady in New York City. I lived in New York City. When, in 89, I was there in 88. I lived in, the, when you talk about the railroad apartment, I lived in an apartment where, guess what? The, I looked out the window, the garbage truck stopped every night, woke me up at 3 a.m. A guy right below my window got killed. I used to go shower with 10 other people because guess what? It was a giant shower. So I know exactly the struggle when you talk about pivoting. You have to do some things that, guess what? You, you tell the story because guess what? God has allowed you with your faith to be able to tell this story. But let's talk about pivoting. When it was not something you could read in a book, that you had to go just on your faith, your belief, and your dreams. Oh, my God. That is so beautiful, what you just said, because basically you said it for me, and I'm so grateful that you have felt the purpose of the book. Mm -hmm. Pivoting is a dance move. It is changing a direction and headed into a better flow. Mm -hmm. I start out in the book talking about step one, mm -hmm. dare to dream. Mm -hmm. And I used the word dare because when you're producing something that hasn't been done before, you won't see it in mm -hmm. the world. You won't see the reflection because you are. Mm -hmm. The very thing that you're looking for, it's in you. Right. So there is a dare. There isn't a risk to dream, mm -hmm. but I talk about it early so we can get it out the way. Right. And so you can establish a confidence in the passion and in the dream so that you can hang on to that feeling when a pivot hits you. Right. So when I went to New York and I thought I was studying at Alvin Ailey and all of a sudden I went to a hip hop audition and I began to feel something more and there was a pivot, but yet I was like, how can I do hip hop when I was studying Technical dancer, I thought I was supposed to be at Alvin Ailey. But in trusting the feeling of the dream, I realized mm -hmm. that I had to pivot because it wasn't just about dancing his great works. It was about being inspired by Alvin Ailey, right. Judith Jameson, Catherine Dunham. It was the fact that when I first saw Ailey, I saw a man who spoke about tribulation and oppression through dance. Mm -hmm. I realized that his work as a visionary was what was speaking to my purpose, to my soul. It was moving me towards me understanding how to create movement and artists that would speak to the circumstance. So the pivot was necessary. And so the fact that we're even talking about the pivot from a real place, like it's going to feel uncomfortable, right? There will be a moment where you're out there and you have no confirmation that the pivot is right. But what you do know is where you were didn't feel like all you could be, which is why you have to hang on to the feeling of the dream because it's in the pivot that there will be a moment where you're sustaining evidence of that dream and you're becoming it. Wow. And so to be able to pick up a book that will give you strength during your pivot or while you're pivoting, is, is key because mm -hmm. God gives each and every one of us a different dream so that we can help each other right. to further empower each other so that we can live our perfect dreams, our individual dreams. So I think the pivot 
is not something that's just to be taken lightly. Oh, it's easy. Go ahead and pivot and don't feel nervous. Right. Go ahead and pivot and don't feel sick in your stomach when you're walking away from your nine to five to open your own business. No. Understand that those are all flags that are directing you directly into the dream. And it is scary. You do have to dare to dream, but you already established that in step one. Mm -hmm. So continue to dance because the next step will present itself. You'll get confident in the idea that pivoting leads to the evidence of what you will become and it'll get easier to dance those pivots. The, and the thing about it is interesting about your book. I, 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 I turned Mr. Christopher. Every time a dream killer came in your life, it was Mr. Christopher. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so, so be patient with me. Like the Mr. Christopher started way in your life and you ignored him. And I called the, 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 the restaurant owner. He's a Mr. Christopher. Okay. I, I, the, the person who, who, who basically, parted you and you missed out on that opportunity in the Malcolm X movie. That was a Mr. Christopher. How do we recognize the Mr. Christophers in our world? Because your book talks about them. We call them dream killers. They are individuals, these dream killers. And they're people that sometimes you don't recognize them. But they came into your life. You didn't let them win. They, I call emotionals. They were never physical setbacks because you have your health. They were emotional moments. They, but you learn from them. You talk about how you learn. But the thing I like consistently about your book, hard work was never something you ran away from. You you admitted your faults. You admitted your errors. And you were responsible towards correcting them in another situation. And just talk about that, because I think that's important because a lot of people, when they make mistakes, your book discusses how to overcome or not let that mistake win because it's a mistake that we all can make. Talk about that. Yeah, I call them mishaps. You know, mm-hmm. you fall out the dance, you fall out the eight count. Mm-hmm. But as a result of the falling, something in you gets louder. Right. The voice of the dream, the feeling of the dream. Now you're able to hear it because you're in a misstep. So mm-hmm. now you're like, okay, I'm acknowledging it as a misstep because I don't feel good making that decision. I didn't feel good being late. I didn't feel like what was inside of me was aligning itself with what Mr. Christopher said. Right. He said I couldn't be a ballerina. My feet were too flat. My back was arched. He literally said that I wouldn't be a great dancer. Mm -hmm. But my dream told me different. The feeling inside of me told me different. And I hung on to that feeling. And as a result of me being obedient to that feeling, I wasn't afraid of the work that I needed to develop that level of ability. I talk about training to sustain, getting as much information as you need to be able to persevere through a dream killer. It's the training, it's the work you put into becoming that sustains you Mm -hmm. when someone doesn't see what it is you're meant to become. Because you're the one of ones. You're a prototype. So how how was Mr. Christopher (laughs) supposed to see me? Mm -hmm. He never saw a young black girl with that much belief, power, Mm -hmm. and authority when she danced. Right. He was in a very ignorant phase of his Mm -hmm. dance. Mm -hmm. So I tell those people, too, that are dream killers to get out of their period of oppression and rejection to the greatness in others 
because they're ruining their own greatness in themselves. Right. But the most important thing as a visionary is to understand that you must do the work. You must train, get as much knowledge to sustain the dream killers Mm -hmm. because what you carry may be something original. You may be a prototype. And in most cases, everyone's dream is unique to themselves and we are all prototypes. We have something unique to offer. And in understanding that philosophy and that methodology, you will be less inclined to design yourself by what someone else does Mm -hmm. and begin to embrace the conversation that I'm a prototype. I got to dance my dance because what I have to do hasn't been done the way I'm going to do it. Right. Right. You know, you know, this this is uh, I know time. We have a time limit here. But I want to ask you one more question. There's a couple of things. I, I wish I saw the I had a saw a picture of you in your go-go black go-go cowboy boots, because I'm a Texas boy. So I fell in love when you went out and thought you had to have a pair of black cowboy boots. And and when you went for that audition and heavy D and did in, how you changed and walked in hip hop. See, there's a lot of things that I love about this book. And the thing I love about this book the most is that, see, fear stops a lot of people. I always tell people they don't want to change jobs or they don't want to end relationships. You know, fear could have stopped you with Lady Gaga, Nicki Minaj, the call you got with Michael for Michael Jackson, you working with Brandy. These are not, these are not trivial names that are thrown around in the book. They're just examples to let you let people know that that you had to make decisions and you couldn't be afraid when you was making these decisions. And before I wrap this interview, I'd like to, if you can just explain to people, yes, you were afraid. No, your fear was in you, but faith got you through that. But talk about that whole process because a lot of people are stuck at jobs right now that you quit. Their relationships they could walk away from. They're living in conditions that they can do better, like you said, but they refuse to figure out a plan. This book is about a plan. And they, if they follow this plan, they'll realize that this book might have a lot of famous names in it. Just remove the famous names and write mm-hmm. their names in it. And the people that are blocking them or helping them, they're in this book. That's why I love this book, Miss Gibson. And I want to thank you for writing it. But before I leave, if you can expound on overcoming fear when great opportunities are presenting themselves, but you don't know the expectations of what can happen. You're so awesome. I really am grateful for you and your guidance in helping me express the power of this book. So thank you so much for dancing your dance, but most importantly, for being your great self, because it is blowing me away how much you're helping people to understand the power of this book. So I'm so humbled by that. Thank you. I believe, and I know that I wrote this book for the very reason that if I can speak to your dream, I can speak to your circumstance. So I know that fear did not live in me. It lived around me, but faith lived in me. Once you dare to dream, then the possibilities of the beautiful power of that dream is about faith and faith is in the dream. So very early, I realized that faith was something that was around me. That was something that was being projected towards me. And that if I gave it life, if I said yes to it, then that would actually become something I had to then experience versus staying in my yes, which is an important step for it's a hard step to work 
because you have to stay in something that you cannot see. Mm-hmm. You have to stay in something that is deeply rooted in the passion that you feel when you think about your dream. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, you choose your dream over the fear. And now you're saying to life, unfold according to God's plan. Unfold according to the plan of my dream, my purpose, and my destiny. Unfold according to my dance. Unfold according to who I am. And again, you choose the dream over the fear. And suddenly what starts to rise in you is confirmation. And the faith gets you to the next step. Suddenly the phone rings. You pick up the phone and it reflects you staying in your yes and not the fear of losing, but the faith of winning. So it is about working the steps. It's not about expecting something to happen magically overnight. No, it's about understanding when you're facing it and you refuse to choose it. (laughs) It's going to come. When when, when I had to pay that bill and I didn't have a job and my rent was due, I was like, okay, God, where am I? When I was going to the foreign officer, she was like, you have to go home. I was in that bathroom on my knees like you gave me this dream. I'm going to need you to help me understand what I'm going to have to say when I go downstairs and they want me to produce this paper that I don't have. And as soon as I went downstairs, she was gone. Yeah. Come on now. Come on. Come on. You ain't gonna, what you ain't going to do to me is test me on this book, baby. I got your book. Okay. <laughs> Love it. I was the very woman that <laughs> expected me to produce a paper that I did not have, a paper that would send me home, mm-hmm. got fired. Yes. Yes. And they were like, look, Miss Swanson's not here. I need you to go back to your class. Mm-hmm. And what did that do? It brought me time to do what I needed to do to stay in my dreams. So I talk about these situations to support another dreamer at that particular junction where they need evidence of the yes, evidence Mm -hmm. of someone staying in their yes, not just the celebrating materialistically Mm -hmm. being bold, being like braggadocious about what you have. This is not what this book is about. This is about becoming what you are. And at, Certain times I have to talk about what I don't have and what I didn't have so that you can understand the power of staying in your yes, the power of your dream. So I'm so grateful, but it is really important, especially now that I speak to fear being around you, Mm -hmm. not in you, so that you can understand how to stay in your yes which completely produces the faith and the confidence and the perseverance you need to get to what you already are. Wow. She's Laurieann Gibson, Dance Your Dance. She shares numerous inspirational stories and antidotes, including coming up with dancing with Jennifer Lopez, first time meeting Lady Gaga, working with the late Michael Jackson, the early days of bringing Nicki Minaj, Barbie World, to life. Her long-time collaboration with P. Diddy, and you're fantastic. I want to thank you for taking the time. Again, I'm supporting this book. Laurieann Gibson, Dance Your Dance, thanks for coming on Money Making Conversation. You're amazing. You look amazing. And 2021 will be awesome for you because you're blessing us with this book. Thank you. We will be right back with more money-making conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. 
Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversation. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men who are making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. From civic leaders, businessmen, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads, the Cafe Mocha Swag Award winner this week is Van Jones. He currently hosts the Van Jones Show on CNN. Van Jones is president of the Dream Court and is among activists featured in the Netflix 2016 documentary, The 13th, directed by Ava DuVernay about the U.S. justice system and factors that have resulted in the over-incarceration of minorities and the highest incarceration rate in the world. And it just underscored to me the need to work on criminal justice and policing issues. And that's really what I I focused on. And and I learned so much doing that because when you're working on policing issues and criminal justice, you really have to work at the grassroots level until you get some victories going. And I'll never forget what it's like when you're fighting the whole system Mm -hmm. with just, you know, a few allies. But then to be able to win sometimes, it just shows you, you the power of the people. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is Ryan Serhant. He is a co-star of Bravo's hit show, Million Dollar Listing New York, and the author of the national bestseller, Sell It Like Serhant. Ryan made just $9,000. He talked about it in his book, The First Year in the Business. 12 years later, he averages a billion dollars in sales every year, making him one of the most successful real estate brokers in the world. His social media platform gets a combined average of 3 million eyeballs. His real estate company, which launched in 2020 and is the most followed real estate brand in the world. He'll be discussing his new book, BME, Big Money Energy, How to Rule at Work, Dominate at Life, and Make Millions. People who possess BME, which is Big Money Energy, get that way because they are 100% committed to making their vision for themselves a reality. And their vision is big, B-I-G. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation. He is BME himself, Ryan Serhat. How you doing, sir? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Let's talk about this book, man. You know, uh, in some ways, I felt it was like a refresher course for me, which is really good because sometimes we forget how to be successful. We forget the the journeys. And a book like this, if you don't know, you learn. If you do know, it really forces the path that you've taken is the right path. Correct? Correct. You know, I came to New York City uh, in 2006 after I graduated school. And the one thing I always wanted to do was theater. I wasn't good at, at too much else. I wasn't mm-hmm. good at school. <clears throat> I wasn't good at sports. My parents really, really pushed me to do uh, both of those things, take as many different courses as I could, <clears throat> uh, play every single sport imaginable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the only thing that I was kind of okay at was theater. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I've always believed that I'd rather regret the things I did than the things I never tried. And so I moved to New York City and gave myself two years. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd been working odd jobs in the summers and after school since I was like seven years old. Right. Um, and so I had a little bit of money saved up, and that was my my New York City money. Right. Um, and it lasted me a couple years. And at that point, I ran out of money in the summer of 2008. And it was get a job or move home. Uh, and when I decided to become a real estate agent, I realized I had no confidence as a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who, who's going to buy or rent an apartment from me? Mm-hmm. I'm not from here. I was born in Houston, Texas. I grew up 
a little bit in Long Island, outside Boston. You know, I bounced around eight times mm-hmm. before fourth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I had very, very, very low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you come to a city like New York, you know, New York is run by New Yorkers. Right. And I definitely was not a New Yorker. <laughs> I wasn't, I didn't go to the schools here. I didn't grow up here. Um, but I saw all these people walking around on the streets and events who carried themselves with a certain level of confidence that just proved that they were successful. Mm-hmm. You know, the type of person that would walk into a room and everyone would gravitate towards them. You know, they had this big magnetic right. energy. Right. And I wanted that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's really what this book is. Big Money Energy is all about how to become the person you want to become. If you're the type of person who looks at other people's success and says, why not me? That was me. Right. That was me. And I used to say the same thing. And then I figured out how to get there. And so I I put it all into the book. Well, you know, the thing about the book is that this is what I really liked. I like the book in a lot of different ways. Like I've told you, I love chapter five, where you talk about dominating, the look of dominant. Look is important. Don't trivialize the look. And we're going to talk about where your first sale was tied to the look and how you, you know, how you use it as a manifestation to who you are today, brand yeah. selling. You look great. Look at you. You look, well, you look beautiful. I'm going to tell you something, Ryan. I, I cannot read chapter five and not come on the, and interview any other way but like this. This had to be, this is my dominating look now. I'm a dominator today on interviewing you in my dominating style. Now, I love it. The reason I liked your book was that a lot of books I read, they talk about entrepreneurship, they talk about small business owners. You're talking about everyday people, how they can rule at work, how they can rule in a regular 40 hour week job, how also they can turn around by just changing their attitude, by changing their look, which in turn means they can dominate in life and make millions. But so many people look at that 40 hour week job and treat that that's all they can be and not looking at the nuances of what they can change in their lives to be successful. That's why this book is really a must-read book for just everyday people as well as entrepreneurs, correct? Yeah, no, it's, it's not just for entrepreneurs. Um, and entrepreneurs are people who don't have 40-hour-a-week jobs. They don't have jobs at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm an entrepreneur, but I am unemployed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I make money if I sell a house. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You know, right. there's no, no one pays me hourly. I don't, I don't have a monthly retainer. I don't have salaries or benefits from everyone. If I sell a house, mm-hmm. I, I get a small percentage of that house sale. Right. And that is it. Right. Um, if you have a job that's paying you by the hour or you have a salary, you're one step above any entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be an entrepreneur, you have to be a little bit crazy because you're basically cutting out the net. Now, that's the only way I know how to live. I, I need to have my back up against a wall in order for, for me to really, really fight and to get as much I want out of life as possible. But if you are working that 40-hour week, um, just know that any of your superiors' positions are possible for you too. Right. You know, And that's what having big money energy is really, really all about, is having that big, confident energy to start being the role before you are the role. Right. Okay. Start assuming that position before someone even has to give it to you. I think so many people sit and wait and say, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to know that's not my job. That's not my job. That's not my job. If you're the type of person who says that's not my job, then, then you're not going to go anywhere anyway. Right. Like I still, to this day, if I got to, I'll I'll go paint an apartment. Mm -hmm. I'll paint a wall. I'll I'll replace a microwave Mm because nothing is above me. Right. My job is to get the job done. Right. Regardless of who's doing it. Now, ideally other people do it, but if they don't, I'm going to do it. 
Um, uh, so you can look at the people that are above you at work, either the better salespeople or your manager or the boss mm -hmm. and know that it's possible for you to be in that position. Mm -hmm. You just have to want it and then mm -hmm. you have to work for it mm -hmm. and then you have to work into it. We well, you know the thing about it is that a lot of people are in your business, the real estate business, but I've never seen the social media favor that you get in social media. Because all my guests, I always look at the social media, look at the traction, follow their feeds. Why do you think that your followers are so engaged with your brand? Is it because of your youth, because of your your tone, your style, your confidence? You carry, you got a swagger about you. Let's go on, Ryan. Let's go and admit you have a swagger about you, and it's a fun swagger. Is that tied to the fact that you wanted to be an actor and you and you just like play acting the world into success, and that's why BME works for you, Big Money Energy. Talk about that. Why why are you so popular in social media? Oh man, well I think that's. For one, people like real estate. Right. They like looking at beautiful houses. Right. They like seeing inside wealthy people's homes. So mm -hmm. people follow me uh, for the real estate. But in two, one of the reasons Million Dollar Listing works so well as a show is because it is such a crazy career. Like the fact that you could live in New York City and sell these insane homes and deal with these crazy people, that's a, that's a wild job. And so there's like this voyeuristic uh, thing about following me. Right. You know, what is my life like? My life is not normal mm -hmm. whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, between the filming, the books, the showings, the apartments, the houses, the flying around, all the craziness. Um, and so I think people like that. They like being able to take a step back and, and seeing what, what, what our lifestyles are like. And I think that um, I also try to have fun with things. I don't take myself too seriously. I don't care how much I sell. Life is way too short. <laughs> well, that's what I love about you, you know, because you, you don't take yourself serious, but you're, you're a shark. You know, you yeah. know how to close. And uh, let's talk about that whole start because I want to give away the book, but this book is kind of like a journey from, you know, becoming a novice who didn't understand his value and understood. And it just, uh, a gift from God fell into your lap. And you adjusted to it and you rose to the occasion. And we, you kind of mentioned that earlier. A lot of people who who tend to say, I yeah. won't do that or that's not my cup of tea or nobody nobody put that as my work schedule or my opportunity. That is what you didn't do. And that's what this book is telling people. When the opportunity comes to you, don't push it aside. Challenge yourself. This book is a challenge yourself book. Am I, am I reading it correctly? Oh yeah, a thousand percent. The book is not for people that are going to read it and then go back to life the same way they were they were doing it yesterday, mm -hmm. right? The book is for anybody that wants to do better, get to a place tomorrow that they otherwise wouldn't be today, right? The whole idea is how do you become the person you're gonna be in ten years tomorrow? How do you start becoming future you? I think about Ryan 2030 all the time. Mm -hmm. That's the person who motivates me. Mm -hmm. That's the person I look up to mm -hmm. is myself in 2030. Mm -hmm. Because look at what happened in 2020. Mm -hmm. We can't control anything, right. right? We can't predict anything. And life is so, so, so delicate. I want to make sure that whatever I do today right. is going to make my life in nine years awesome. So right. that in 2030, that guy is so successful that he can buy a time machine, go back in time and pat me on the back today. Right. And I'll be like, Oh, what's going on? Oh, wow. That's me in the future. Right. I'm so much older now. Right. Like that's what I want.
right? More than anything. Well, you want so that how knowledge. How do you be future you? Right. You want that knowledge, but also when I'm reading your book, here's 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 the cool thing about reading your book is that I like to believe I'm a successful person. Okay, and because of that success, then I've learned some tricks of the trade. And to see it written out, somebody who follows that same path, because you're a successful person and a very successful person, by the way, follows those paths. What made you say, you know, some I'm going to reveal this path to millions who could potentially buy this book. What made you say, I want to reveal I want to help people. Is that part of your DNA? Yeah, I did. I didn't think it was. Um, but over the past couple of years, it, it has become that, you know, we were, we were quarantined like all of us. I was mm-hmm. in New Hampshire, in the woods, in the snow, talking to our, our course members. We do a big online sales course, uh, talking to my team members, all the people that work with me, um, and talking to fans and people all over the world. And everyone was so scared. People were nervous. No one had any idea what the answers were. We were all in limbo. Um, and people were being fired and people were being furloughed. And so many people were connecting their self-worth to their income uh, or lack thereof to their level of income. And I remember thinking that way until I stopped thinking that way. And so I just started writing, you know, with my first book, it kind of happened the same way. And so I just started writing and out of those experiences and those conversations and those talks came big money energy and Listen, there, how, how many different ways can there be that I give back? I give back with money. Mm-hmm. I give back with time. Mm-hmm. Um, I am only successful because New York allows me to be successful. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm only successful because I've been super fortunate and super lucky. And I completely understand that. And so what I know is also another way that I can give back. It's like, a, okay, let me put what I know about how to be successful. Let me put it in a book so people can copy it. Right. Like, go ahead, just do exactly what I did. Copy right. it. It worked for me. Mm-hmm. It, it could possibly work for you too. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it doesn't, take take the best and leave the rest. Right. And you did that. Uh, let's talk about starting a business in 2020, which is the pandemic. A lot of people ran to the wolves. A lot of people felt sorry for themselves. A lot of people were afraid to come out of their homes. I know that's why I say I love your book because I bought a building during the pandemic. I, I bet oh, wow. on myself. And like I said, your book, you know, I, I don't want to act like I'm just saying things to make you feel good, but your book really aligns with a lot of my beliefs. And I bet on myself. And you talk about betting on yourself, trusting your instincts. And I bought a yeah. building and I had a plan and it has been a plan that has led me to a tremendous amount of momentum. It led to this new studio that I built out for myself because I had nice. a plan. And so talk about betting on yourself because this book starts out when you was only making $9,000 a year and you start betting yourself, you start taking risks, you start ignoring what other people said you should do and did the things you felt you wanted to do. And some of them surprised you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. My, my whole life has been a, a bunch of, a bunch of surprises. Um, <laughs> good surprises, think, Ryan. Good surprises. Okay. <laughs> yes. Good surprises. So one of the most important things about, finding success, mm-hmm. um, especially when uh, you don't think that success is for you right. because you think success is reserved for everybody else, the good looking, the educated, the well-connected, etc. Mm-hmm. Right? Understand that that's all bullshit. You just have to become an opportunist. Mm-hmm. You cannot wait for opportunity. You can't wait for the future. Mm-hmm. You need to make the future now. Mm-hmm. You need to start creating situations that will create 
opportunities, right? You need to start riding the waves of all your little individual successes and shouting them from the mountaintops. Right. Remember that people who are successful only work with other successful people. It's true. It's true. Because there's, there's too much risk in working with anyone else. Mm-hmm. So the reason I work now with billionaires helping them buy and sell property all over the world is because they know that I've helped other billionaires. Right. They don't even talk to anyone else now. They just call me because they know, all right, he, he's been able to figure it out. Other people have used him. That, that's good enough for me. Ryan, I need this. I need that. I need this. Right. I need that. Right. Right. You know? And so it's, it's that level of just sort of betting on my own abilities um, and being able to play the game like you already have the money in your pocket. Right. Right. Like you already, you already won. Right. Anytime you go into a meeting, anytime you go into work, you already won. You already won the day, right? You've already been paid. What else can you do? What's going to separate you from everybody else? But you know, the thing about it is that, and I hear what you're saying, and that you talk about it in the book because you play the game, but you better have your facts together. You better do your homework. I can remember yes. when uh, Steve Harvey and I was sitting down in a meeting in LA and we met Janice. She's a billionaire. And we was talking about some deals. And I've always had that gift of being able to, I guess, BS my way up to a point. And guess what? She called me on it. And she said, you're yeah. talented, but I know what you're doing. Stop it. Stop it. And that point on, I realized, and that, that's that moment you have in your book that you discussed when you got called on it. When you came in there with those generic responses, yeah. you thought you yeah. could get away. Yeah. And he kept digging into you going, he don't know. He don't know. Talk about that moment because I don't want people, this is what I don't want people to take away from this book, Big Money Energy. That you can dress a certain way and you can win. That you can BS your way with a personality and you can win. That is none of Ryan's skills. This is a person who does his work. He's willing to put forth the effort to accomplish a task. He knows a look. If you're gonna if you're gonna play with billionaires, don't walk up there like you're about to cut their yard. That's what he's saying in this book. And so I remember yeah. when when I was reading that portion of your book about your encounter, it flashed back to my encounter because all I'm saying, Ryan, is that in your book, my man, you're hitting so many home runs with relatable information that. People like me and people who aren't as successful like me, people who are employed in 40 hour week job will take this information and win with it. And that's all you're saying. Yes, a thousand percent. Everything takes work. But if you put the work in, mm-hmm. the work will take care of you. Right. The work will make you money, will make you more money, will allow you to lead a better lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But you cannot fake it. This isn't fake it till you make it. Right. This is <laughs> why not me? This is being future you okay there's a very 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 big difference between right. the two mm-hmm. faking it till you make it is what you were just talking about that I, I did that once yes i sold one apartment one home okay mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. for just over two million dollars and i thought i was the man right i thought i was the best i just sold this apartment. oh i do i did it with a chinese investor <laughs> buying an apartment for a baby that wasn't even born yet <laughs> i am the man and so I got a meeting with a big developer who sells buildings all right. over the city. I was like, wow, dude, I, I'm, I, 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 it's me. Okay. I just sold that apartment. <laughs> I'm going to go meet with this developer. Of course, I'm just going to get this. And I went in there prepared to crush it. And he started asking me all these questions about the markets, the history of New York city, what I thought about this developer, that developer, this. And I froze. I had no idea what he was talking about. I just thought, you know, he wanted to meet me. 
Right. And that like I was at that, I, I didn't have to do any work that right. I was just going to go in and he was going to say, Ryan, we've got this building, you know, you're a star broker. You just sold that apartment to that Chinese investor. You know, what do you think about our building? Would you like to sell it? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I can't believe that I was so naive, but that was, that was bull mm-hmm. money energy. Mm-hmm. Okay? That was that BS right, right, money right, energy right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that, that carried me into that meeting. And when I left, the feedback I got from the friend who connected us uh, was he, he basically just said, Ryan's got a lot to learn. Nice kid though. Right. And that, that was that moment where I was like, okay, you know what? Um, I just messed that up big time. Right. I, I got to fix this going forward. Right. It's all about what you know. Right. Okay. It is all about what you know. You do your homework, you do your preparation. That's where the confidence comes from because then you don't need the experience. If you know more than the next guy, and that's how you're better than the internet, right? Right. For all of us that are selling against the internet all day long. Well, you know, Ryan, you know, really interesting. Uh, yeah, that that was a that was a it, tough meeting for me. That was a tough meeting, but that was a meeting that woke you up because it was two things I took away from that meeting. One, you didn't you do your homework, but to close your first deal with Joan, who was pregnant at the yeah. time, by you did your homework. You learned New York. You learned. You learned that you, you did one of the great tri- one of the great moves that I tell people every day. I say if you want to be a star. Go make a consistent appearance at a restaurant. Load and Matri D. When you come in, they'll say, "Hello, Rashawn. How you doing?" Those techniques. I can, like I said, man. I, 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 this is one of my favorite books, man. It's going to be on my bookshelf because all those things you're talking about are natural. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to. If you like going out to eat, go to a restaurant, the same restaurant all the time. Once you establish a relationship, guess what? They give you the best table. They'll welcome you yeah. in front of a line. That has nothing to do with being a millionaire. And that's all I'm saying about this is everyday people rules. If you just work in a regular job, you can become a superstar. You can become a star. Big money energy, how to rule at work, dominate a life, and make millions. That's all you're saying is that everyday people can win with this book. Am I correct? You are 1,000% correct, sir. With that being said, why is it so hard to buy houses right now? Why is the why is the real estate market flying off the chart? Why is it everywhere I look, every part of this country, people are buying homes like they're running out of style, Ryan? You the expert. Come on. Yeah, because uh in March of 2020, um, the federal government spent six trillion dollars right. on what was effectively a PR campaign for buying new homes Mm. because there's nothing like being locked inside your current crappy house to convince you to go get a new one. Right. And that's exactly what happened. Right. People real, listen, this isn't a financial crisis. Look at the stock market. Like, I mean, look at, look at bank accounts, look at interest rates. It's like the greatest buying environment ever. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. There was mass unemployment, but as COVID restrictions lifted, everyone wanted to get back to work. Right. Right. There's still a lot of unemployment because people actually got fired from jobs they don't like. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're they're trying to wait to figure out what exactly they want to do. A lot of them are getting into real estate, to be honest. Um, we've seen a lot of people just join up to our course. It's been totally crazy. Right. Um, uh, you know, and so everyone went and decided to buy new homes. And remember, we still haven't totally recovered from the Great Recession that right. started in 2008. Mm-hmm. Right. The world is we're still in that like we're still trying to figure out how we're crawling out of that like that was a massive collapse um that is this is a shock wave from and so a lot of people still haven't upgraded their homes from right. prior to 2008 to 2010 and so now they're doing it because now 
they're trapped, you know, and they don't want to be trapped again. If there's going to be a second wave, a third wave, a fifth right. wave, who knows? Right. Now, million dollar so, listing is on Bravo. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, yes. uh, do they have to? That that show is part of your, um, I guess you want to say brand now. Okay, what does it? Yeah, I've been doing to it for you? nine years. Right, it's part of your brand. What What is the future? Do you? Uh, what do you? You just go to. Uh, and, and, and when I say that part of your brand is that it gives you a, a vehicle to promote who you are and to validate yeah. who you are and also build your company. And yes. a lot of people, like you said in the book, a lot of your friend or friend thought you were crazy for trying not to be a reality star. Talk about yes. that friend now. And also, yeah. you being a reality star. <laughs> yeah, all my friends thought I was crazy. My family thought I was crazy. Everyone thought I was crazy. And remember, this was 2010. Reality TV in 2010 wasn't for building a business. It was for Dog the Bounty Hunter. Right. It was for the real world, American Idol, Survivor, you know, the Kardashians had only just started. Like, mm -hmm. it was... You know, it, it was kind of, you know, like that, you know, Real Housewives is what Bravo was really known for. So mm -hmm. people are like, oh, you're going to go be a male Real Housewife. Right. Slinging <laughs> real estate, you weirdo. Um, <laughs> and so, and people said, listen, New York is a really serious city. It's very serious. It suits. Like no one's going to take you seriously. But listen, I'd only been in the business for a year. Right. And a year and a half, I guess. And so I, I just thought the more people who knew what I sell, the better. Right. You know, there's almost 8 billion people on this planet. If I can do a TV show and let people know I'm selling real estate, then maybe somebody will call me. And for anyone that doesn't want to work with me because they're super serious and I'm on a TV show, um, I don't want to work that person either. There's way too many fish in the sea. I'll deal with my Chinese investors all day long. I don't care who you are. Right. I'll, I'll buy and sell real estate with anybody. Um, those friends now, uh, I think are proud. And I think everyone's just surprised. It's like anything. Right. Like million dollar listing was not supposed to work out. You know, it was a, a spinoff show of a franchise um, uh, that just sort of that people just sort of took to, you know, and here we are still doing it. We're season nine. I mean, what I'm filming right now. I'm in uh, one of the studios uh, shooting those interview scenes. Right. You know, right. where we sit there in front of the camera and they're like, <laughs> whoa, really? Right. I do that for like hours on Mondays. And so I'm here in between that. Um, so season nine will be out in the next couple months, I think. I'll tell you something, Ryan, you're a star, man. Uh, just the second time I've gotten a chance to interview. First time I didn't have your book. This time I made sure they got the book to me so I can read it. I appreciate it. It's a it. brilliant read, man. And I'm a fan. And uh, again, I'm recommending this. I'm putting it in my newsletter, putting it on my social media. Uh, I got 1.6 million eyeballs looking at me. I don't have 3 million, but I got enough to believe in the brand of Rushon McDonald. Your brand's a success, man. And from a fellow Houstonian to another Houstonian, yes. living in my favorite city, keep winning, my friend. All right. Thank you, man. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Thank you, Ryan. I have two of the biggest industry decision makers on my show today. My next two guests are Benny Boone, well-known director, and Solomon Onita Jr. Benny Boone is one of the executive producers of Tasmanian Devil, and Solomon Onita Jr. is the writer and director of Tasmanian Devil. Here's a little history on my man, Benny Boone. He's a member of Alpha Phi Alpha, as is Solomon. <laughs> he directed a much-anticipated Tupac Shakur biopic, All, All Eyes on Me. He's dominated television and streaming platforms. Benny has directed episodes of NCIS LA, uh, Black Lightning, and All-American, The Quad, and Tales at BET, Lee Daniels' Empire on Fox. Now, in August of 2020, 
Bennett, the Tasmanian Devil, earned Solomon Onita Jr. the inaugural John Singleton Director Award for the Best First Feature at the 2020 American Black Film Festival. Tasmanian Devil is streaming on all platforms, especially Amazon, iTunes, and Fandango. Please welcome to my man, to Money Making Conversations, Benny Boone and Solomon Onita Jr. How you doing, fellas? How you doing, man? I Got a couple of apples on the call right here. I think that's important to say this because we're talking about a movie by pledging and, mm -hmm. and at the, you know, I, I've seen a lot of different versions. Uh, I know I was fortunate. Uh, I used to do sitcoms and I used to, I wrote an episode with sister, sister when it was on the air and it, we did uh, my man, uh, Brian McKnight. He was mm -hmm. a star in the sitcom and we, and, and you know, when you start talking about, fraternities and sororities and if you if you make anybody walk in the straight line or anybody do something against their will then no national branch of fraternity is going to mess with you because that's hazing that's hazing right. you know even right. if you say walk in the straight line or if they bow down to you they say yes sir that is a form of hazing just want to explain to people well, why they didn't use FIA in the you can't that's hazing and if you acknowledge that use in a movie then it can come it can come back and bite them in some form of a lawsuit because they can use that. Well, you acknowledge this portrayal in a movie here. So that's why even though they are members of A5A, they can't use it because guess what? The images that they're portraying in this movie, which are very realistic, by the way, and I'm not saying anything negative because guess what? It happened to me when I played Jamaica Sapphire. In fact, it was pretty much worse <laughs> in certain situations. But, you know, I have nothing negative about that, Benny and Solomon, when I talk about this, because I will tell you this. Pleasure Omega Sci-Fi, as you would probably say, Pleasure in the A5A, it changed my life. How about you guys? Uh, for me, 100% changed my life. I pledged uh, Spring 91 mm -hmm. at Temple, at Temple University, Pyro. I was a solo pledge, so it was a very, very, very difficult uh, ordeal for me. Mm -hmm. And um, it definitely changed me from a boy to a man. I was 19 years old and I had, uh, I was a freshman. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of those things, you know, that I was grappling with as a young man i was molded and guided by um by my bros you know the big bros at the time and so it really changed my life guided me matured me really quickly and uh i appreciated every single day you know uh what i was what i went through and what i was able to make it through how about you solomon uh for me i had a very similar experience with uh with uh pledging alpha phi alpha um, what I showed in the film is not necessarily my exact experience. You mm -hmm. know, I made it a fictionalized version for entertainment purposes. Uh, but the uh, the lessons and the values that these organizations uh, give young men is, is what I was trying to depict through film. Mm -hmm. um, and so the journey that my lead character takes throughout Tasmanian Devil is something similar that I experienced, you know, gaining self-confidence, gaining that brotherhood factor that uh that you know really propels you to that next phase of your life especially as a young man well you know it's interesting benny you say you pledged when you was a freshman i was a senior when i pledged so you know they, they hit me hard why you wait so long why you wait so long huh old dude trying to pledge with all these young people and but and I, and I and i say that because i was lost man and that's what i see in this movie tasmanian devil it's a young man who's lost trying to find himself. He's from a foreign, he's from another country. His mom is back in the country where he's coming from. His dad, I guess there's a disconnect because his dad wasn't with him as he grew up and became a man. Mm -hmm. 
And so he comes over here and the manhood he receives is really from the relationship he creates with these young men in the, in the, in the fraternity he's trying to pledge. Am I, am I reading it right? That's, um, that's exactly right. I think that uh, the one thing for me, when I read the script, you know, Solomon, uh, Solomon's producer, Trisha Woodgett, got the script to me and, mm -hmm. and, and my company mm -hmm. and we're looking for um, producers and financing and stuff like that. And so when I read the script, I was so familiar with the pledge process right. that that wasn't the first thing that jumped out of me. The first thing that really jumped out of me was the relationship, the father son relationship mm -hmm. in the film. And I felt like reading that script, you know, whenever you read a piece of material, um, you try to find the commonality of the story that that you think everyone can relate to. So everybody can't relate to for pledging or hazing or the uh, black week life or black colleges. But everybody can relate to their own relationship or dynamic with their mother or father. And to me, that is the strength and the foundation of this film, um, that relationship that, you know, um, where 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 Dio comes to America thinking that, you know, he looks at his dad as a god, right. you know, and he comes to America and he's falls very short of that. You mm -hmm. know, you're also talking about in the film, he's a man of God, he's a missionary and a pastor. And so we have that dynamic of faith um, in the film, which is also something that, I, I you know, I'm, I like to talk about in the film because I think it's an important factor when, when in this story. Well, you know, it was important to me because you know, here's a guy, he left his family, right? He left his wife. His wife had to raise a young man. And we all know the dynamics of the importance of men in a boy's life. And he wasn't there in those important formative years. And basically he was, only reason he came to him, I'm not going to tell the story. It was, it was, it was kind of like happenstat that he actually was in the States to be with his father, but his father Explain to me, Solomon, what were you trying to achieve in the in the in the arc of the character with the father? Because you're the writer and the director. What were you achieving in that relationship? Because I hear what Benny said, and I'm agreeing with you saying, Benny, and because my father was a disconnect with me, you know. Even I loved him to death, you know, and uh, but we were not that tight father son relationship. Uh, for me, when it came to the father of Tasmanian Devil, uh, it 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 kind of mirrored my relationship with my father. My, mm -hmm. my, my dad is also in the ministry mm -hmm. and, of, and often he would leave to Nigeria, to other countries mm -hmm. on missionary trips to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, cause he, he works in, um, in like radio broadcast and, in, in order to kind of, you know, spread the message of Christ. And so I was looking at that when I was, when I was growing up and I was thinking, you know, he's leaving his family in order to push the gospel and so, you know, his, his attention is being carried away from things that I thought he should have, you know, been at home trying to nurture us as we were coming up, but he, he was instead doing other things. So for me, it's like, that was the most interesting part of, of, of the character for me, because I thought the arc there was, he puts more value in this out is in this external system of, of religion versus his own family. And that's what I was trying to portray. Well, you know, when I, Benny, you know, you know, I mentioned the different television shows you've done, success mm -hmm. in the film industry, and then you get a project that comes to your production company, Tasmanian Devil. You know, is it is it the character structure or is the content of what the script brought to the table that really excited you the most, or was just the familiarity of the background because you are, are a member of uh, Alpha Phi Alpha? Well, it was a combination of things. I think part of um, 
part of our responsibility as uh, in these fraternities is something that's important. And I think over the years, it has gotten lost on on, on all of us. Right. You know, not just Alphas, not just Qs. All of us, we, we've sort of, we've taken a back seat to what we're supposed to be doing. And what we're supposed to be doing is giving back to the community. Um, we're supposed to reach back and bring other people up, regardless of what, I mean, I would have, had this film come to me, Solomon not been an alpha and he was a, a, a you know, a Q or a noob, I would have been involved in the same way because that, right. that wasn't the reason why. Um, what I wanted to do was to be able to help a young man who wanted to be or who is a filmmaker tell his story and not be held back by what happens when you make a studio movie when producers who've never made a movie before or never directed or never written have all these notes and ideas and thoughts and all this stuff. And it goes against what you want to do creatively. Right. So Mm -hmm. what I, what I wanted to do was help shepherd him in this, into this industry in a way where his full vision can be achieved. The way he thought about the scenes, the way he wrote the scenes, the way he directed the scenes were his vision at the same time, um, because of the experience I had, I wanted to give him some notes and some ideas, but never was I uh, in a position where I said, yo, you got to take these notes or it's going to be whack. No, I would offer my ideas to him. Some he took, some he didn't. And I respected, respected them both the same way. Um, Because the point of the matter is when you make a film, you have to, as the director and writer, you have to live and die by that film. So I I just wanted him to make sure that he was solid and stood solid on the ground in the decisions that he made. And my whole goal was to be here to support him. And I think it's really important, Solomon, that you did have someone who had the the fraternal experience, the pledge experience. Because I'm going to tell you something, man, really enjoyed the movie. I was I, I smiled because it brought back memories. You know, somebody's trying to sneak in the front. You know, yeah. when they were greasy big brother make us high five. You know, when they was greedy. <laughs> man, it was like, you know, I was going through if, I was going through see it through. I was just, yeah. I was going, yeah. I was just, it was like you, know, you can keep your head and all about you losing theirs and blaming it on you. I'm going, whoo. You know, it was like it was it was and the reason I'm excited about it and I want to highly recommend this movie is because, you know, it's a collegiate journey because you know people on the outside saw what we experienced and then you have the people who experienced it and and can share that 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 firm belief but this is why i feel it was important that benny was part of this 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 this, boot to do scene and uh process because it didn't go over the top nothing in this movie i went that's some crap (laughs) <laughs> well, why are they doing it? No, we, we would never have done that. Dude, it stayed on a level playing field. It didn't go to the extreme because you know where it can go. But it was not nobody jumping out of a plane, somebody jumping out of a car, somebody robbing a store because they're trying to get some. Everything that was asked in this movie by the young man actually happened to me. Or I asked somebody to do it for me when I became a big brother. <laughs> That's important, Solomon. And I believe it. What's your What's your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to show almost like a standard view of what Hazen is. I mean, a lot of people have seen Hazen from other black films like Stomp the Yard and um, Spike Lee's movie. So we have a knowledge of Hazen already. I didn't want to get too deep into, you know, what different organizations do, because that's not what this is about. You know, right. I created a, I created a film that's outside of MPHC. So I just want to show a generic uh, hazing process or pledging process to use that as a vehicle to to show 
what it's like to, to enter this organization and then uh, compare, and contra- uh, compare and contrast that to the religious aspects of it and to the, you know, him trying to assimilate to American culture. Uh, so that's why I, I kept it very surface level. I just showed stuff that people probably already know about hazing or pledging. Well, you know, someone, I, I don't want to, I don't say yourself short. Um, it, it's about an experience. And, and, you know, as a person and you both, you both have players, you know, Benny plays by himself. I played with three other brothers. I played with a fifth one, but we were going to run and he jumped out of the car while I was still moving. So we went down to four. So that's how extreme pledging can be, you know, and then ran back to the dorm room. He wasn't going to get out of his bed. I quit. I quit. I'm done. And I know the first day, just share some experience. I did get hit on the first day that we were with a board. I got paddled, you know, because my, 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 my line brothers knew. I didn't know them. We just all players at the same time. We're playing cards. They said, look, look at we serious now. However many points y'all lose by, that's how many times we're going to hit him. <laughs> they went, really? Okay. They just, they, and the points kept talking. Like, oh, and in my mind, I'm going, are they serious? They're up to 100 points here. Damn. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And and it all real. It was 184 points they lost about by. about that century club. Come early. on now. Come on now. And I got hit 184 times on my first day. And I'm not saying that's a badge of courage. I'm just saying that that in that point of life, you make decisions. And I think that that's what this movie is about. It's a decision-making movie. It's a decision about relationships. It's a decision about his dad. It's a decision to come over there. It's a decision how people look at you. When he finally stood up to homeboy, they told him, he, you know, started calling him names. And he stood up for him the first time because he thought he was soft because he had a soft tone and he wasn't aggressive. This is a really great movie, Solomon. And I, I it's not about the levels that you deliver. It's the story that you're telling, man. And Benny, I'm sure you played a major role in I'm And I'm not trying to undersell this. I'm just selling it right, man. It's, I enjoy I will watch it again because I watched it this morning. Whenever I do interviews like this, I don't like to watch a movie three days or four days. I like to watch it the day of. So I got up at four o'clock this morning mm. and I watched the movie in its entirety. It's a one hour and 59 minutes. I know I watched it <laughs> and I enjoyed it. And I went, wow, this is really good because and the lead character is amazing. It plays Dale. He's amazing. Oh, yeah. Abraham. Yeah. You know, the one thing, too, I, I, I want to say the culture of the, the cultural aspects of this film are important. And, you know, when when we made this movie, we didn't you know, this was pre pandemic. This mm-hmm. was pre George Floyd and all these things. And I think one interesting factor about it is that um, as as Africans in this diaspora of America, we we have finally I think now have finally come together as one unit where we can look at each other as real brothers. And I mean, you know, uh, um, Russia, you know, we, we, we're probably not that far in age. Right. Mm-hmm. And we grew up in a time where, you know, if you was African or Haitian or Jamaican or something like that, Southern, Southern brothers and, and brother people that grew up, I grew up in Philly, but my parents, my father's from the South, you mm-hmm. know, he's from Virginia mm-hmm. and my mother's from Philly, but she's, her parents are from Virginia, North mm-hmm. Carolina. So mm-hmm. Southern roots. And we always looked at, Africans or blacks coming from other places in a little weird, a little weird way, the way they sounded, the food they ate and all these things. And so this is this film showed it showed a little bit of that, Mm -hmm. but it showed the respect factor, too. Mm -hmm. He was like, you from Africa. Right. And he says, you got a 4.0. And I think that right there showed a lot because it changed that little scene, changed the dynamic of what 
African-Americans think of Africans, mm-hmm. right? And I think mm-hmm. that's important given what we are all going through uh, in this country right now. And in terms of, you know, when, when that policeman stops you, he's not asking you if your parents are from Nigeria or right. Kingston mm-hmm. or or Charlotte or, or you know, right. mm-hmm. or, or South Hill, Virginia. He's, they looking at the black skin. And I mm-hmm. think now we, we uh, at a point in, in, in this um you know, in this journey of, of African people that we all together now, mm-hmm. you know, we can look at each other and respect each other. It takes a long, it took a long time for that. But I think now we probably, you know, we can respect each other when we see each other. You know, when I, when I think about this, when that four, I remember that scene, because they mentioned that four four point oh great point average, like three times in the movie. Mm-hmm. What I took away from that, Solomon and Benny, what I always tell people, when you have value, when you create value, then there's a need or want for you. You know, because people, always, you know, everybody wants to be a millionaire, but what's your value? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be active. Can you act? And with mm-hmm. more basketball, can you dribble? You know, right. or can you show up for practice on time? And to me, that was a strong moment for me for for just young black people in general, especially black men. If you create value, then there's a want. You create want, then there's a desire to make you part of, or make you a whole part of something that's bigger. And that's the whole thing about the Tasmanian devil experience is that, you know, being our players to make us up fire, you know, we had the Q pearls and all that, so all these different layers, the AKAs and all that stuff. I remember the scene when there was a, um, at the UC Center, we all know. Wednesday, I don't care what campus you own in America, Wednesday noon, brother, on a campus, that's where you got to be on any campus. Black, HBCU, white, Wednesday noon. Not Tuesday, Thursday, but Wednesday noon. So I had so many flashbacks in this movie, but it was tied to the realism and the portrayal of the college experience. Because you really gave me the college experience, not only from his point of view, for the other young men who wanted to fit in. Because you can agree with this, Benny. You went to Temple. I went to the University of Houston. So even though it was like, we thought it was a lot of black people on campus. It was only like 2,500 of us. We were all together, everybody kicked it together. (laughs) You know, but you thought thought we was like 50% of the campus, you know. Then you realize, it's 35,000? White people on this campus. We only twenty five hundred of them, and but but that's the black experience. But the, also, I remember I became vice president of the student body, and that was because the black experience allowed me to experience that. But truly, I'm talking to you, Solomon. The black experience, just talking about what's happened in 2020, and and seeing what happened to George Floyd, George Floyd, and watching black men talk, you know, use the N word like they supposed to use the N word on the streets, you know being comfortable in using that what was your whole ultimate goal besides of being a personal story that you can relate to you as a fraternity member your dad was in the ministry did radio some form of entertainment what was the ultimate journey for the movie tasmanian devil um with tasmanian devil and also hopefully as i progress in my career my goal is to show black people as who we truly are Right. Um, there's a lot of like most of the stuff that that depicts African-American culture in, in film is us having to overcome some type of system or like racism or slavery, something right. that is uh, that's something that we have to fight against. But I just want to show us living our lives, like doing things that we do. You know, that's <laughs> that's that's my voice as a filmmaker. That's that's my contribution. I want to make films for black people that 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 that's just us existing in our everyday lives and showing the different things we can do, not just having to overcome a white system or being inferior to some other 
kind of race or something like that. So with Tasmanian Devil, that's what I was going for. As I cre- as I continue to make films, that's what I'll continue to do. So uh, I'm glad that you saw that in Tasmanian Devil because I, I hope to do more of it. Hey, man, believe me, I saw that and more. I saw a talented young man, and I'm so happy that, Benny, you're doing that. You know, basically, I, I created Money Making Conversation because so many people will ask me to mentor them. You know, and I, I just can't mentor everybody. So I kind of like use these interviews I'm doing with you guys as a form of mentoring. People listen to the interview, they grab your experience, Ben, they grab your experience, Solomon, and it becomes a possibility. Those nuggets that you guys dropped during the interview. Now, you talked about scripts that come your way. You created a, a, a production company with a fellow fraternity brother, Benny. Talk, tell us about your production company. Well, we have uh, Groundwork Studios, and it's uh, we created it myself and Gerald Rawls, who's a, a brother, alpha brother from my chapter, who mm-hmm. I pledged. And we, you know, from day one, we always um, said that we we have, you know, we know that there's something greater that can be done right. in entertainment. So while I was directing videos and having the opportunity to do movies and television, I'm also uh, ha- opening myself up to the next voices. And the important, it's interesting to hear Solomon say that because it's, it's funny. This is the first time I'm ha- actually hearing his mission statement, funny mm-hmm. enough, uh, <laughs> of, what he's, of what he sees himself as a filmmaker, which I think is great because, you know, when I was uh, trying to come up and make, and, you know, from transition from music videos to film, the knock was that we didn't want to do anything that was black subject matter because right. it really wasn't popular then, right? So we were trying to fit in, get in somewhere. Um, that didn't really happen for me. So the first film I did was Next Day Air which was the first feature with Mike, Mike Epps and Wood Harris and Omari Hardwick, which is a very black, very, um, very funny, you know, dark <laughs> comedy, you know, that, that kind of dealt with the, the drug subject matter. Yeah. And it was very relatable to mm-hmm. my life growing up in West Philly in a way. Right. Um, and so that, although, you know, the film is funny and people talk about it, I, mm-hmm. you know, had I made that film in this climate, right. it probably would have been received more or better or bigger, mm-hmm. you know, or something like that, had mm-hmm. more uh, interest in it. But it was just very hard at that time to get people interested in black movies. Right. And I'm just so glad that I'm able to sit here now, um, you know, some 15 years later from that movie almost and be able to help a young filmmaker tell his story the way that he wants to tell it to to and give it to the world and and the, the other great thing um and it's not great but something that's come out of covid is that we don't we don't have to be hampered by the idea of um of what do you call of theaters of right. theatrical release and so we can put this film out and give it to the audience without having to go through the trade to say oh man we only made you know, three million the first weekend or two million the first week, those kind of things is what I'm really happy about. We can actually service the audience with a great movie and not be worried about um, what the perception is of it based on how many people saw it the first weekend. Well, you know exactly what what I'm saying when you say all eyes on me. It was Mm -hmm. considered a black movie. It was only basically domestically released. It was Mm -hmm. limited released into foreign selected markets, maybe England, the Caribbean, maybe South Africa or Africa in general, where this movie, when it's released, February 9th, it's going to be on the entire, it's worldwide release. That's what what I really love about streaming. I'm glad you brought that up because I champion streaming, especially when it comes to black products, because we're not limited to what somebody says we should be seen by 
Only these people really want to see your movie. Now mm-hmm. people, are, everybody's seeing your movies. And that's important because it's premiering on Amazon. It's premiering on iTunes. These are international platforms. Fandango, yeah. Google Play, uh, Verizon. That is the beauty of why I wanted to make sure I was a part of this interview. You know, I'm going to put it on my social media. I'm going to put it in my newsletter. Because my man, you know, like Benny said, you are our future. And I'm not saying Benny and I are ready to die. I'm not saying that, Solomon, okay? <laughs> but you are our future. And it's important that we let you understand, man, look, it's a whole different game out there. Because he's right. Uh, you know, next day air, funny. Boy, that ended. Boy, they were shooting up everybody in that ended. I, I mean, <laughs> Benny know I he knew I saw the movie. And so, but it was, it was, it was, it was funny. Uh, Mike Epps, that's my boy, Mahara Harvick, all these things. And so it's all about timing. But guess what? Mm-hmm. If that movie back there was released domestically, if that movie was released right now, the options of being able to say, I don't like that deal. I'm gonna take that deal over here because I want my product to see be seen by everybody. China, uh, Russia, uh, England, Germany, all of Africa, Italy, you know, Brazil. That's what's going to happen to your project. That's why I like your project because you're telling the story to me that's very honest and very relatable. And I just want to say congratulations, Mr. Writer, Mr. Director. And I'm glad you had an EP like Mr. Benny Boom to show you the, 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 the stay true to your story because your story related was relatable to me. Even at my age, you made me smile. <laughs> that's great. Cool. Well, Benny, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Solomon Onita Jr., I'm sure I'm going to hear you in the future, brother. You're a star on the rise, man. Don't stop, man. I appreciate y'all coming on some money-making conversations. Thank you, Rush. I appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. Hey, man, right. we, we, Benny, you know I know you're going to have projects in the future. I always know you can come to me, okay? Hey, oh, thank you. I appreciate that, man. All right, there. Alpha, Alpha, Omega, man. We all fraternity brothers, okay? <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all stay strong. We will be right back with more money-making conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald, the host of Money Making Conversation. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award is a celebration of black men who are making a difference in our community by empowering others to reach their life goals. From civic leaders, businessmen, activists, celebrities, and everyday dads, the Cafe Mocha Swag Award winner this week is Bakari Sellers, a Morehouse graduate who made history in 2006 when at the age of 22 years old, he became the youngest member of the South Carolina State Legislature and the youngest African-American elected official in the nation. Bakari Sellers currently practices law and is a political commentator at CNN. His book, My Vanishing Country, chronicles critical flashpoints in our civil rights movement. I had no idea that my book was going to come out during a time where black folk were dying at extremely high rates due to the coronavirus or pandemic that we would have had the deaths of Rihanna Taylor, uh, the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, um, and now another death in Minnesota. The book comes out in the words that I'm, that I'm putting on those pages. It speaks to the issues of race we have in this country, issues we've never truly dealt with. The Cafe Mocha Swag Award represents men who have strength, whose wisdom is assertive, and who is genuine in their spirit. Welcome back to Money Making Conversations with your host, Rashawn McDonald. My next guest is always committed. committed. She's a committed person. Brittany Nicholson Pickens, the juice girl. The juice girl definition is when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Or in this case, you get to juicing. She's a food blogger and created Eating Anonymous that allows her to review restaurants. And she is a serial entrepreneur. She started up north, now she's down in the south. The Juice Girl business offers a variety of products that energize you, boost your immune system, reduce risk of sickness, and increase your fruit and vegetable intake. They're all ingredient, all natural ingredient 
of rich in vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, Brittany Nicholson Pickens. Yes, I love that intro. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was struggling. For some reason, I'm on a struggling day. I don't know why, but I've, I've gotten through the intro, so make sure I have a great interview with you. So I'm looking at this fantastic. I see some, I'm assuming those are juices in front of you. Yes, you for four, all my juices that four, are here. Four types of juices, I'm assuming, right there. What type of juices are they? So, okay, so let's just go through it. Okay. So please consider the one and all pack. Okay. Um, all, this one at all pack, I always suggest everybody to take if they want to start um, detoxing. This is the first step on detoxing is the one at all. Let me stop right there. What exactly is detoxing? So detoxing basically is just going to cleanse your body, take all the toxins out. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when we use natural juices, it just right away. <laughs> like right, If your body's not used to eating so, healthy so, food. So, so it basically flushes your system out. She's just a mouth. So just, just, I'm talking about Rashad McDonald now, because sometimes I feel a little bloated. Like the, after I came out of Thanksgiving weekend, I felt a little bloated. Should I have detox? detox? Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Definitely need a detox. So let me just go through what we have here. Mm -hmm. So this is the Green Goddess. This has five fruits and vegetables. It has kale, kiwi, cucumber, lemon, and pineapple. It, right. it, you know, it sounds a little nasty because it has a lot in it, but it tastes <laughs> very, very good. This is the Care Paradise. So the Care Paradise has pineapple, lemon, and carrots in it. Right. Mm -hmm. This is the beet berry. The beet mm -hmm. berry is a little bit hard to drink because it has ginger in it. It okay, just has right ginger, beet. When you say that means you're a little harder to drink because it has ginger in it. What is ginger What is ginger doing to make it harder to drink? Is it tangy or is it... Uh, Ginger is very strong, especially the ginger that I use, but it has like, I think it's 92 minerals, vitamins and minerals in it. Um, it's very, very good for your immune system. Right. I love ginger. So like, this is like one of the ginger shots that I, I, I always, that I suggest it's called Boost Me Up. Right. It basically has the honey, the lemon, and it also has the ginger in it. Awesome. Awesome. The wheatgrass. So the wheatgrass has Wheatgrass and ginger. Oh, I mean that's the, I, I've been here about wheatgrass. You know, since uh, I remember Steve Harvey used to always drink way back in two thousand when he was drinking the little green, the little green so wheatgrass. Okay, I've I've tried the wheatgrass. Now, what exactly does the wheatgrass do for you? Uh, so basically what a wheatgrass do for you is it has a lot of vitamin and minerals as well, mm -hmm. and it definitely helps boost your immune system. Right. If a lot of things green cleanse you out. Right. Like immediately. Right. <laughs> so this one right here is the kickstart. So this one is a little tangy. So if you like citrus, which yes. is oranges, which has vitamin C, I do. Uh, you really like this one. You would mm. like this one, and it has oranges, lemons, and then also pineapple juice in it. Fresh pineapple. Um, fresh. I use a lot of fresh pineapple. You know, people. So one thing about my business is I customize your juices. Okay. So not want pineapple i won't put pineapple if you okay. do not want if you want more ginger just say in the notes i want more ginger you just let me know and i'll make it how you want it okay so if i wanted just so you showed me four juices if i wanted yeah. uh juice number one and juice number four of what you presented to us i can just order those yes so everything you can order one of one um minimum order for delivery so i out here in atlanta i have a delivery service okay i make sure i come to your door and i drop off your juices okay. um Minimum two juices per order. Um, most likely, a lot of people usually, these are my top sellers. Okay. 
Bodice and the Care Paradise are my top sellers. Um, a lot of why, people. Why like, do you think they're the top sellers? Why do you think those two are the top sellers? Uh, they remind taste people, really good. And remind mm -hmm. people of what they have in them that makes them the top sellers. Um, I think it because they taste really good and there's a lot of benefits. So this one has five fruits and vegetables, and then this one has three. But both of these together, a lot of the times people buy them as they're detoxing and they buy them in the gallon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I sell them in the gallon as well. Now, there's a when one detox. Is that is that considered weight loss when you detox? Yes. Okay. Also, also with detoxing is weight loss. So you can lose a few inches to your okay. stomach. Okay. Well, I, I can always do with that. I'm just to let you know that. So <laughs> if I have to go through the process, how much is each bottle? And if I bought more than one bottle, are there any discounts? So there, there aren't any discounts. Um, usually sometimes <laughs> I do, like I'll add in an extra drink okay. or an extra shot. Okay. Um, most of the time, mm -hmm. So each juice costs $12. Mm-hmm. And when I sell the gallon, the gallon is $70. So the gallon is like a huge gallon of juice. And it's usually you can you can detox for about a week or two right. with the gallon. The okay. shelf life is three to five days. Wow. Um, so you wouldn't want to get a lot. You wouldn't want to like to get like 15 bottles. You want to buy them like on a weekly or two week basis, right? I want to buy. So what I'm going to start within the new year is okay. I'm going to do a membership program. Mm hmm where everyone can, they can subscribe and every week they will get a delivery of juices. Wow, that's pretty hot. That's pretty hot. So let's let's talk about it. Let's go back now. We know you got the product. How did all this get started? I'm talking to Brittany. Uh, you know, she's the founder. She is the juice girl. She has this fantastic poster of her in the background. She has these roses in front of her. She has four fantastic popular juice drinks in front of her. The first two that she talked about are just reminded of her popular ones. In the Atlanta area, that's where you're based. Yeah, you can deliver. You have a home delivery too. Okay. What is each bottle? The cost of each bottle. The cost of each bottle is twelve dollars. Okay. Cool. Okay. Cool. So and I, if Rashad McDonald said, "Hey, I finished this interview," I said, "Look, I want to order two bottles. I can get them delivered to my office today." Yes, you can get them today. Well, you'll be hearing from me after this call. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I and mean, then I also have on my website. I don't want to forget those. I have two other drinks: a pineapple ginger. Okay. And then I also have a, it's called a uh, sunrise. What's it called? Why did I forget it? A paradise sunrise. <laughs> Basically it has pineapples and right. strawberries. So right. I use that more so as a refreshing drink. So you can add alcohol if you want to, to that one. Because oh, um, a lot of people talking, like fresh juice. They go, and, they go healthy and drunk. That's what you picture. Healthy drunkness. That's what you picture right there, Brittany. Listen, <laughs> I think on peaches. So Ms. I Pickens, also had a, a juice you called up? Georgia Peach. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was delicious. So like oh. for certain events where they want my juices, mm -hmm. I usually add a Georgia Peach basically had fresh peaches, right. pear, right. and then it had a peach Ciroc. And then you did an apple crisp and it had fresh apples, pineapple and apple Ciroc. So I do those for wow. like special events. Okay, cool. Now I uh, want to come back to the question. I kind of like stumbled over it and I was asking, how did all this get started? You know, I, oh. well, you're working a full-time job and you quit your full-time job. Talk about what you're doing a part-time developing this while you're working full-time. Cause I always tell people don't quit your full-time job till you have an option that the job you're going to, or the opportunity you're going to is real. So talk us about how, what just, Let's go through the history of how Juice Girl got started. Okay, so when Juice Girl got started, um, so background story, uh, in February, my mother passed away. I'm sorry to hear that. Mm -hmm. February, my mother passed away. Mm -hmm. 
And I was working a full-time job as an executive assistant for a CEO of a global manufacturing company. Okay. Mm -hmm. Working in corporate. I've been working in corporate for about 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I all of a sudden decided, what am I here in New York for? Like, I need to start a new life. I want to move. So I decided to move to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities out here in Atlanta Mm -hmm. and it's more progressive for, you know, us. And, (laughs) um, and I love to see, I just love to see so many black entrepreneurs and I'm like, let's, let's just go. And I'm the only child. I don't have any kids. So I said, let's go. So I moved to Atlanta in July and I started the juice girl literally in July or more towards August. And I was just like, okay, let's go. So I've already did always did the food blogging for the longest. Um, right. I charge for food blogs on my blog. It's mm-hmm. called eating underscore anonymous. Mm-hmm. It basically I travel around different cities and give you a real reactions for reviews to different restaurants and what's good in their on their menu and stuff like that. So then I just said, hey, we're in during a pandemic. One thing I realized a lot of restaurants were closed. Only thing that I really seen that was open were juice places. Right. I was just like, this is something we need to boost our immune system. It's mainly boosting your immune system with a lot of fruit and vegetable intake. All my juices have all fruits, all vegetables, no water added. A lot of businesses put water in their juices and they're not 100 percent natural. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of business don't you put sea moss in their juices. All my juices have sea moss. That's why the price is at twelve dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just I just started it and I just decided let's go with it and it's actually been going and I'm excited. Okay, okay I'm Brittany. Excited now, did, you, did this start in your kitchen? Did you start in a, a, a lab? How did so it just start? Started in my kitchen. Okay, cool. Actually. I started actually in this kitchen, actually. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, I started in this kitchen and then now I just rent a space in a shared kitchen to make all my juices. Okay, so you make your juices? Or you, you've you not gotten to a distributor yet or the, the, so the trash? So the next step within the new year is um, I have a manufacturing working on my um, ingredients to perfect my juices because mm-hmm. what the next step is I want it to be in Whole Foods. So I'm going to change the, the, the label and everything like that. And I hopefully within January, February, <laughs> it's in Whole Foods. Let's just... So now it's, about, now it's about marketing and branding, getting up your volume of sales and things like that. But there's something you're saying that's very important. We all know we're in the COVID right now, COVID-19, and it overtly affects, uh, overtly affects the African-American community, the people of color. And you, you decided to launch. Okay, what made you, I know, in fact, you said, Rashawn, I saw juice places uh, open up there and it's good for your immune system. But that's a degree of fear. That's a degree of unknown. What made yeah. you to step past the fear and the unknown? I'm fearless. <laughs> I'm one of those people that's like, let's just, let's just go. Right. And I know what's, you know, so a lot of the times, a lot of, one thing I've realized, a lot of mm-hmm. people aren't, you don't know about juicing. They don't know the benefits. They don't know about sea moss. Right. They don't know about ginger. They don't okay. know about health. Right. You know, it's important, not even just boosting your immune system. It's important to start eating right. Okay. Once we get a certain age, we have to change our eating habits. We really have to, eat differently these you wouldn't even think this green juice right here can make clean out your system get rid of the toxins and just make you feel a lot better so if you drink this juice you take a vitamin daily vitamin it has 
lost in it. You sh- you should be okay. You know, the COVID thing is very very serious. It's mm. it's not it's not even a game. Okay. Um, getting a cold or getting the flu is is serious, very serious as well because then it it changed. It goes into pneumonia. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just like all these different steps we need to you know chop out. You know, avoid. We right. need to avoid. So it's really important to really just really realize, hey, this this is real. Mm-hmm. We need to boost our immune systems. We need to either if taking sea moss every day, if you don't want to juice. So another thing is in the new year, I'm going to have like a $20 subscription. Every week I'm going to come out with a new juice, right. a new ingredient. I'm going to show everybody how to juice. Cause a lot of people are like, they don't think it's an, a necessity. They don't think it's important. So they're like, Oh, I have a juice at home. I could juice. Yeah. I juice. A lot of people go, Oh yeah, I juice. I juice. But then they try my juice and they're like, wait, this is good. I'm Never. like, but what did you put in it? I'm like, hey, hold on. Okay. In the new year, I'm going to have a system where you guys can subscribe and I can show you how to juice. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you the tools of juicing because so, my juices so, are not so, going to be manufactured. So, Brittany, so, no, no, you're not giving away any secrets. Like McDonald's didn't give away any secret sauce, you know. So, you know, it's said, this is good. This is different because I have a juicer. Look at it. It's brand new. Your boy has never juiced, okay? In theory, that's what I told you. When we finish this interview, I will be calling you because I want. I like to because I, I, I immediately what ran through my mind was I need to I need to free the toxins in my body. You know, my, I felt bloated. I actually picked up five pounds over the th- over the Thanksgiving holidays, and so I didn't know what to do. And so, but I also knew that I wanted to flush my system. Basically, what I'm doing with the detoxing. And so, again, tell everybody again because I want people to ever hear. A lot of people hear stuff in the beginning; they want to, then they forget. They subscribe each one of the four juices that you have on display in your store or online. Okay. So everything is based off online. Um, so basically, here is the Care Paradise. So the Care Paradise has carrots, okay. lemon, and pineapple. Here is the green goddess. The green goddess has kale, kiwi, cucumber, lemon, and pineapple. That's a little bitter than the first one, right? From the thing, no, from they're the, both good. They're, they're both good. good. Okay, cool. They're, okay, cool. It's crazy. Because like, I heard cucumber. Eat. I heard kale and cucumber. Okay. Basically, kale is very bitter, but the pineapple over uh, pineapple and the lemon just cover it over. You're not even gonna know. The okay, kale cool. Is okay, cool. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. And those first two you just mentioned are your most popular brands. My most popular. Um, a lot of people buy these in a gallon for detox. Okay. So the detoxing, so basically they can drink the green for breakfast, the orange, the carrot for for lunch. Okay. And then have like a light salad, have an oatmeal for breakfast. You know, it's just certain things. You know, I even started eating veggie burgers. I don't eat, I eat less meat. I love steak though. But <laughs> I I love to start eating more like vegetarian, plant-based things. I love you. But I love you some steak. So you know, you gotta you have to cut it down. Like uh-huh. I love Coca-Cola. Right, right. I don't mm. eat Coca-Cola anymore. It, it, I use it as a, I consider it as a specialty. Right. So when I have this steak for Christmas, I'm uh-huh. having a Coca-Cola. There Just you, a little can. There you I only go. drink half can, you know. So not too much, but I love the taste of it. it tastes good with steak. Mm-hmm. So now we have the beet berry. Uh-huh. So beet berry has <laughs> freshly pressed beets. Okay. And it has ginger. And then it also has blueberries and strawberries. Mm-hmm. You can't taste the blueberries and strawberries. More, more so on the beet berry, you just taste strong ginger. Mm-hmm. This is the only drink that has, well, this drink and the ginger pineapple have uh, ginger in it. 
Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you a funny story right after this. Mm-hmm. So then also we have the Kickstart. The Kickstart has, it's more of the citrus, the vitamin C. It has the oranges, the lemon, and the pineapple. So, and then the wheatgrass shot. That sounds, that sounds like my favorite right there with the oranges, the lemons, and the pineapple. That sounds like my favorite right there, Brittany. So that right there. Know. It's very, very tangy because this this freshly pressed oranges is so like, ah, like it wakes me up. Okay. It will wake you up. So I always tell everybody, drink this in the morning as okay, cool. a morning breakfast. I think I, I would want that one for sure. For sure. Yeah. Because that, that I, 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 I love oranges. I love pineapples, and I know lemon. That's acidic. Like I said, that that's acidic right there. That would knock down that sweetness in there. But that's uh, I, you got three out of four. I'm 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 all over. I'm, I got I got to punch the I want to buy button on those three. All this is considered the one and all pack. So okay. this is a three to four day detox. So okay. I always tell everybody the first two days of us trying to detox your body, yes, I always tell them I want you to drink a juice and a a shot. All, so basically, once you do your purchase, I give you guys, I send you guys a message telling you exactly what I want you guys to do. So, so, so you're going to send me not only a juice, but also a shot? Um, yes. Well, you didn't say all that. Now, you got some extra stuff coming on the side here. So I get a juice and a shot per day? With this one, one it all pack, you okay. get two shots. And okay. you get four juices. Okay, cool. So uh, this is Rushan. I'm talking very serious here because I want to. Okay. We'll get on today is Monday. Okay, so I have. I'll be able to do a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of this week. Correct. So on Tuesday, I get my package today. Okay, what would I do when I wake up in the morning? So when you wake up in the morning, the first juice I want you to drink is the green. Okay. I want you to do a green juice, and I want you to do the boost me up shot. Okay. Because I want us to get your body ready for what's next. Okay. So then the second day, I always say the care of paradise and the wheatgrass shot. Okay. Right? Okay. Then the third day, I always say in the morning, I want you to drink the beets. You cannot drink the beets. You can drink the beets for breakfast or you can drink the beets for lunch. I do not want you to drink the beets at night because it will keep you up. (laughs) Okay. But I can still eat normal food. You can still eat normal food. The ginger is very strong. So every so after you're doing that, the fourth day, I want you to drink the Kickstart, right? Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. In between of all the drinking the juice in the morning, I want you to drink water. I, I, I prefer Essentia water because mm-hmm. it's alkaline. You don't have to have Essentia per se, but I want you to drink alkaline water because mm-hmm. alkaline helps flush your body right. as well. So, so this normal bottled water wouldn't do it. I like alkaline. Okay. Is the pee's diff- Your pee is different. I'm, I'm, I'm. Trust me. Okay. Your cool. pee and cleaning out your kidneys is so much different when you start drinking alkaline water. The mm-hmm. only water I drink is either Core or Essentia. Mm-hmm. Now I drink a lot of water. Period. I love drinking water. You know, that's, that's a big thing with me drinking water. And so okay. when I'm looking at this plan you have in place, you know, you got a product. How did you get to the point that you could mix all these together, though, and realize that you're, you know, you know, you know, I got to ask these questions, you know, because, you know, just a regular person walking around and all of a sudden you got an idea and you mixing juices and all of a sudden you got a product line. How did the product line get started? Or did oh you, who did you experiment so started on? with an idea. Okay. Mm-hmm. started with an idea and then I took myself to the farmer's market. Okay. I said, okay, let's. Buy a bunch of fruits, (laughs) 
what goes with what. Right. So at mm-hmm. first, when I first, it was so funny. It was a construction workers outside of my building. He sent me all these bottles and he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm the juice girl. Mind you, I didn't even start the juice girl. Mm-hmm. I didn't even start it, but I knew once I said it, he said, oh yeah, well, when did you juice when are you ready? I said, Monday. Mind you, I didn't have any idea of what was going with what, but mm-hmm. I had a plan. Right. So on Monday, when, so on Sunday, I got all these fruits. I started mixing all these fruits. I had all these jugs with different fruits in them. So then I'm like, okay, let's put this with this. Put up one cup. I had measuring cups and everything. I'm right. measuring everything. I'm just trying to figure out what goes with what. Right. So the first round, I put ginger in everything. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, by the way you said that, that wasn't a good move. That wasn't a good move. So then I realized, wait a minute, hold on. We cannot put ginger in everything because it burns like it's burning. Like it's mm-hmm. just it's it's automatically mm-hmm. making you go to bathroom. So this is not going to work. Um, so now I started again. I said, OK, round two. Let's try it again. So then I just started mixing with. So for me, pineapple is like my natural sugar. Right. So that will I'm just take take away the taste for the carrot and the green and make it taste much better. Right. Mm-hmm. Lemon. It's just something that needs to be in basically everything, okay? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. like this boosts me up shot. If you have a cold, mm-hmm. this ginger, lemon, and honey is going to knock that cold out. You're not. You're no longer gonna have a cold. Right. So like two, three days of this, two, three days of a ginger pineapple juice, you're gonna be okay. You know what I mean? It's all natural. You have to really start going into the more of the natural route instead it's uh depending on medicine you know absolutely now you have the i want to transition a little bit because i know before we wrap up the interview i'll be remiss we talked yeah. about you being a, a blogger food blogger and we talked about we all know you're a serial entrepreneur out there making juices in your kitchen now you also have a a, 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 a all, all purpose seasoning rub tell us about That's- that and how that got started I love it. I love it. Okay. Now she's she's got an all-purpose seasoning rub that's really popular. And now she didn't know I was gonna bring it up. Obviously, now because I'm a I'm a big cook guy, and so I love rubs. I love seasoning. So when, you purchase, when you purchase your wine all pack, I make sure I'll put in a free all-purpose okay, purpose let's, seasoning. Let's talk rub. about this all seasoning rub. And how did it get started? Oh my God! So I'm a foodie. Oh my God. I love to eat. Um, oh, funny. I've always liked seasoning on my food. I like food that has a taste to it. Right. Uh-huh. I like when I like to see the seasoning. So right. that's why I like steak because, like, during the uh, quarantine on Sundays, I always used to have steak on the grill. Like it was okay. like my thing. Okay. So, are you a, are you a medium or what, what type of level steak person are you? I, I like it crispy. So oh, just the, do me, me and well you done. Her, you're you a well done person? I like it burnt. Ooh, I like it when it's burnt. There's some people get mad at you, you go in the steakhouse. They get mad at you. People they say, are always mad at me when I go to steakhouse. Do. I do things to my lamb chops because I mm-hmm. like them burnt. But yeah. I just like the seasoning. I like I like when it there is burnt and it tastes fresh lemon on there. So my all purpose seasoning rub basically has a little bit of everything right mm-hmm. so every i've sold almost 80 bottles already of this it mm-hmm. sells for 20 dollars. um it literally has fresh cilantro garlic the list goes on and on of everything that's in here i think it's about 23 ingredients mm-hmm. that are in here um i basically came up with this because i said hey i have a food blog i love to eat i love steak i love fish <laughs> 
I love lamb chops. You love birch steak. You love birch steak. Okay. I love, I love, it's, it's, every time I'm like, excuse me, can we make sure it's burnt? No, like, I'm, what are you I'm, talking I remember about? I was a teenager. Like, I, I remember like a teenager. Red, I used to work at, rare, none I, of that. I used to work at Burger King and the people would come through there. They go, okay, run it through the, the patty through the, through the little grill. Oh. Okay, good. No, run it through again. They hate uh, me. They hate me. Uh, they, well, I, I, they would ask me to run it through four times. They wanted it burnt. They wanted it like crispy. I mean, charred. Love it. Love it. And that's I you. Because I'm going to just give people a little background on, on steaks. Now, you go to a steak place. They really want you to do rare or or, or a medium. Once yes. you start going past medium, they start frowning on you. When you start oh. using the word well done, they go, why you come here? Why you come? You just you just cooking all the juices and the flavor out of the meat. So when she says she wants well done a charred, they look. They go back in the kitchen. And go got another one out there. Why is she here? Because it just drives all the juices out. And I'm not saying nothing wrong with what she does. Because you buy you buy your, you have your flavor. You paying for it. You can get what you want. But that's what they want in steakhouse. They want you to have a rare selection or or a medium selection. Once you get past that, they started telling you in a sense that you're. You're, you're drying the steak out, you're, you're losing all the juices out of it, and your meat's going to be dark. And once you get to a dark meat, then you have nothing but just tough meat. And so, but you love that. Every time. I hear it every time, but I just say, <laughs> Cool. Before we get off, let's wrap it up, Juice Girl. We're talking about talking to Brittany about her wonderful success. It started in the kitchen. She moved from up north. Now she's in Atlanta tearing it up. If you're in the Atlanta area, she can deliver this. If you buy at least two bottles, bottles are $12.99 each, right? And we discussed $12 each. And then she sends a little shot. If you buy the four pack, you get two shots. Allow you to. She has a system in place that you can win with. I myself, Rashawn McDonald, will be investing in her four pack, so I can get my two shots. She's gonna throw in a little free bottle, complimentary bottle of rub, so I'm winning twice. She had to go off camera to get the rub to come back on. Fortunately, her kitchen's not that big, so she got back real quick. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, you have a website. Tell us about your website and your social media. So my website on social media is www.thejuicegirl.store. Thank you. I appreciate you. If you want to hear more Money Making Money Making Conversation interviews or subscribe to Money Making Conversation, go to our YouTube channel. 